Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Research Fellow at the University of California, San Francisco's Human Performance Center, Sherry Ma. Thanks for tuning in to episode 133 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So another thank you to Brandon Marcello for recommending me and introducing me to Sherry. So today we have Sherry Ma on the podcast, who is a research fellow at the University of California, San Francisco's Human Performance Center. Sherry's expertise lies in, in sleep, not only for athletes, but for general population as well. So it was a great episode and ties in with a lot of um, talking that I've been doing lately with regards to sleep. Um, So in this episode, we talk about how sleep can affect performance, how sleep can affect uh, cognitive function uh, and immune function, as well as in part two, we go through a real life scenario and just get Sherry's view on the questions that we should be asking of that scenario and how we can potentially make the best of situations where a lot athletes are on the road potentially late at night and how we can maximize their sleep and recovery um, in situations that many coaches around the world find themselves in on long flights and bus journeys. So caffeine takes about 15 minutes to kick in, right? Um, or to be to be um, active. And so if you down a cup of coffee, and then you go take your power nap, 20, 30 minutes. Then when you wake up, then you will have both the caffeine and the power nap will have kicked in. Um, and there, that's been shown actually to be more effective than just the power nap alone or the caffeine alone. So just before we get into the episode with Sherry, I just want to say a massive thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar and Coach Me Plus for sponsoring this episode today. So I know I say it every week, but the podcast could not run without these guys, so I'd encourage you to check them both out. Both run by great people and provide great products for the industry. So here comes the uh, episode with Sherry. I hope you enjoy, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacing Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to Sherry Ma. So welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a little bit of information on on you and your background, your education and what you're currently doing. Sure. So I was um, at Stanford for a number of years with the sleep group and um, looking at how sleep impacts performance in elite athletes has been the focus of my research. I did my undergrad at Stanford and biology and psychology, my master's in biological sciences, and um, since then I've um, been in medical training at the University of California, San Francisco. So now I'm currently a research fellow at the Human Performance Center. Cool. And I just want to, before I go any further, thank uh, Brandon Marcello for making the introduction. So I really appreciate Brandon's um, email linking us two together. So is it so the interesting stuff going on in San Francisco at the minute at the research center? 
Sure. So we're trying to dive a little bit more into the impact of sleep on physiology. Um, we're exploring how that affects also biomechanics and movement patterns and continuing to look at the role of sleep interventions in elite athletes and how that affects not just on-field performance, but also cognitive performance. So partnering with some excellent cognitive neuroscientists to be able to dive into that question more. Mm-hmm. So did you did you get into the were you interested in sleep from a performance point of view when you started out or is that something that's just developed with time No I actually fell into it sort of as a uh, perhaps a lucky surprise it was one of the first studies that I was involved in we were looking at the impact of uh, what we call sleep extension or reducing down accumulated sleep debt in undergrads at Stanford and it was by chance that we had a couple of athletes athletes in the study. They were swimmers. And I remember very vividly them coming into the lab one day, you know, huge grins on their face. And they said, you know, we, we know you're looking at cognitive performance, but I just want to let you know, I set a couple of personal records in my last swim meet. And that's really when the light bulb went off in my head that said, hey, this is fascinating. Might we see benefits in this particular uh, population of elite athletes where we also know adequate and proper recovery and sleep is going to be critical. And so that's really what sparked my interest, particularly to look at elite athletes. And so fast forward a couple years, that's during my master's is when I really started to dive more deeply into um, the collegiate athletes. Mm-hmm. So where, where do you see the future of the sleep research? Where, where do you see it going? Oh, great question. I think perhaps we're diving more now into interventions uh, on how we can look at optimizing not just sleep duration, but the quality of sleep and looking at interventions that potentially will help to minimize jet lag and travel strategies for athletes that are we know are frequently encountering circadian disruption. Um, I think up until now, <clears throat> more the, the literature is focused on you know describing sleep in athletes and um, I think now we're, we're getting more um, quality studies and trying to examine what we can do in application with a lot of athletes, too, to help um, optimize this area that is frequently has unique challenges at the elite level. Mm-hmm. So just to set the scene for the, the kind of rest of the chat, do you just want to give us a little bit of a, an overview of how sleep can affect performance, athletic performance? Sure. So sleep, we we recognize is essential for each and every one of us, regardless if you're, you know, an elite athlete or let's just say even a weekend warrior. But um, adequate sleep duration, we know, is going to be critical, um, especially long term, um, and that it can affect your on-field performance. There's been studies to demonstrate impacts on cognitive performance, so ability to make good decisions or reaction time or... Uh, to be able to utilize working memory. Um, Adequate sleep, we know, can affect physiology, so immune function, um, and our body's ability to recover at nighttime properly, as well as uh, for an athlete, their possible injury risk um, can be possibly impacted by inadequate rest opportunities. So these different domains of performance can, um, yeah, all be impacted by uh, proper rest and recovery, or more frequently, what we see with a lot of elite athletes is inadequate rest and recovery acutely and chronically. So, how many, how many, of what time period does 
cognitive function decline based on sleep? So is it like disrupted, um, reduced sleep for one night, two nights, three nights? What is that? Is that an individual kind of thing? Great question. So that can depend on where an, an athlete is currently. So what how, what was their sleep patterns acutely? So the, the couple nights before, or even chronically, how was their sleep, for example, the last month or so, right? Um, but some of the literature does describe even one night of inadequate sleep or uh, reduced quality can affect um, performance outcomes. But obviously there are going to be individual differences. So when it, and just it's the same for the kind of immune side of things. I'm guessing that that may be a longer term chronic situation, or can that be affected quite acutely as well? Uh, that can be. I've seen some of the the literature on on several days um, can impact uh, some of the immune function, um, and they've also looked at that uh, over chronically. So if someone's getting inadequate sleep for multiple days, how that might affect immune function as well. Mm-hmm. So how can we, obviously there's individual differences between, well, what people feel they need between one guy and the next. How do we, how do how can we find out what, how much sleep we actually do need or don't need? So I think the lower hanging fruit is even to get adequate sleep for most athletes. That's where yeah. we are today. Um, you know, the, the latest recommendation as of 2015 is that every healthy adult needs minimally seven hours of sleep every night. But that is a lower threshold, and there is actually no upper threshold. So to account for those that likely have what we call accumulated sleep debt, when we chronically don't get enough every night, that builds up like a a credit card, right? Like a credit card debt. Um, And we do advocate that you you can uh, pay back some of that accumulated sleep debt, at least acutely. Um, And so... Knowing that many athletes are not even getting to that seven-hour threshold, that's the first step. And and I am a fan of small steps in the right direction. So if you're someone who's getting, say, six hours, then can we challenge you to get six and a half hours consistently and then gradually work your way up? Um, For a lot of the elite athletes, the... You know, of the expert opinion is is pretty con- in, within consensus that it's probably closer to eight to ten hours for the lead athletes, um, and kind of trying to find how much an athlete needs can depend again acutely how they've been sleeping as well as chronically longer term. So, do, is that different for kind of adolescents? I'm guessing it is. I'm guessing they need more. Yes. So sleep needs change as we age. So how much a teenager needs is uh, at that range that they do every day need about eight to 10 hours versus as you get into adulthood at 18, then it's at a, again, that lower threshold of seven hours versus children need much more. Um, and so those needs do change over the life cycle. And I'm guessing it doesn't, I've just written something down there to remind me, but I'm guessing it doesn't help the situation when you get kind of stories and I'm sure you've read them online and things like that, that kind of publicize how little kind of successful people have like so-and-so managed to, I don't know, random, but Bill, like Bill Gates gets four hours night sleep because that's all he needs and all that kind of thing. I guess that them kind of public stories don't necessarily help the situation. 
No, unfortunately not. Um, you know, I think there is sort of the societal stigma around sleep that, you know, we're fine on four hours, that we should be able to cram in everything that we want to do and be at the top of our game, you know, on four to five hours of sleep. And for the vast majority of individuals, that's probably not the case that four to five hours is sufficient to really be, um, you know, to, to have a healthy sleep Um because we know it is critical for health and wellness. Um, it's not that you can't function, right, on four, four hours, but arguably probably not at your best. And long-term, you know, there might be health consequences and performance decrements as a result. But, you know, there are those genetic short sleepers, and, you know, more research is going to probably elucidate, you know, that, that smaller population. Um, but I think, again, for the majority of us, we, we just unfortunately sacrifice and overlook our sleep uh, when our schedules just end up getting really busy, and that's usually the first thing to go. Mm -hmm. So one thing I want to ask you is about uh, sleep trackers, and I don't, I don't particularly want a flood of solicitors' letters at your door in the morning based on what you say. So I'll be kind of cautious of, of how I word it. But um, what, what's your what's your thoughts on kind of sleep trackers, kind of as a global sense? Yeah, trackers, I think objective sleep monitors, I think it can be helpful tools, definitely. I think for many athletes, it's difficult to know what happens during their sleep because you fall asleep and then you're not conscious and then you wake up in the morning time. So for a lot of athletes, it's this black box. And, and I think some of the ability to um, objectively monitor your sleep long term um, can give more insight to athletes that they didn't otherwise have. Obviously, there can be a wide variety as Many have emerged in the last five years, um, and there's pros and cons to many of them. Some have, you know, more uh, validation studies than others, but I think big picture, they can be helpful to connect the dots of what happens at nighttime and then what happens during the day during an athlete. And the more that it can help reinforce and have an athlete reflect on what has happened based on some of their approaches to their sleep or maybe some changes that they're trying to implement, I think those are um, additional insights that they wouldn't otherwise have. Mm -hmm. So again, not to not to kind of dive too deep, so push into something that you don't want to talk about. But is there some is there certain things that you would uh, encourage people to look out for or not look out for when they are going through the different options that are available? Is there certain things that you would say it has to have this, or it should never have that? Obviously, barring the validation studies that go behind these bits of kit. I think it'll depend on how the athlete wants to use the um, information or some of the tools that are provided in them. So, um, you know, I like that for many of them, they might be able to provide you the ability to look at your sleep patterns uh, over multiple weeks, right? And I think that can give insight to how consistent or perhaps inconsistent your sleep schedule is um, or your ability to compare one week in season versus, say, a week in the middle of the season or towards, you know, the end, um, because sleep habits can change over a long season for an athlete. Um, and then all, um, a number of different objective monitors can provide different tools. And so I think it depends on what the goals are of the athlete and how they want to utilize that information or how regularly they want to be able to uh, view their data. 
So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Sherry. Hope you enjoyed part one. So in part two, I'm going to put a real life scenario to Sherry and just get her thoughts on the kind of questions and potential solutions that we could offer in that certain situation. And that certain situation, I'm sure will resonate with a lot of coaches out there who are struggling with long flights or, or even long bus journeys back after potential night matches and got to maximize the opportunity for recovery and sleep in them situations. So just before we get into part two, I just want to say a massive thanks to Train With Push, makers of the Push Band for sponsoring this episode today. So recently I had a, an article on, on the website on strengthofscience.com by Tom Turner, who is the strength and conditioning coach at Leinster Rugby. And he talks about how to use velocity-based training to uh, improve maximal strength in rugby players. So using the first team squad at Leinster and explain to us not only the theory behind velocity-based training, but some data and how he's used it to uh, improve maximal strength in a real life scenario. So I think more of that needs to be out there and I've had a couple of rants recently uh, to certain people. Um, so if anyone else would be uh, up for sharing their practice like Tom did, uh, I'd be certainly all ears. So massive thanks to Train With Push for sponsoring the episode and I'd encourage you to check out Tom's article. So here comes part two. Hope you enjoy and I will talk to you. So I just want, is it all right for me to just give you a little scenario and they can have a little chat about a certain scenario that I've come across recently? Sounds good, let's go. So I was in a, a football club, soccer club recently, and they had a, a late night, which is commonplace, uh, a late night Tuesday game. So they were traveling from the south coast back up north. I think it was probably a six and a half hour coach journey. So they got back at four o'clock in the morning, half past four in the morning. And they didn't really know how to kind of deal with that. Do they give that team the day off and then get them back in Thursday and then prep Friday for a Saturday game? Or what they actually did was got the guys, the, the guys that were traveling a hotel. So they were straight into the hotel at half past four in the morning and actually scheduled an afternoon training session, which was one o'clock. Then gave them the Thursday off so they could be settled in their own in their own home in their own bed on the Thursday for a Friday prep and a Saturday game. So I'd just like to get your thoughts on the what maybe and maybe not have been considered in that situation. Yeah, it sounds like one of the first goals for the team was to get into the new location after post game travel. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe a couple things that I would think about is um, late night arrivals into new cities is our athletes sleeping on, you know, that long bus ride or flight. A second is how would that affect then their circadian rhythm, right? If they're, if they're now getting into a late night, um, arrival into a new city and then sleeping from maybe that five o'clock to one o'clock and how is that shifted from their typical pattern or not? Um, and and then how would that influence then the following day when I know that they have a potential recovery day on that Thursday? 
A couple other factors I think about, too, is the time of the game. So what time were they playing their game on Saturday and trying to strategize um, so that athletes are, yes, one, getting adequate duration, and then, two, thinking about circadian rhythms to try and leverage the time of day in which they will have to be at their peak performance. Mm-hmm. So in, in that scenario, when they're kind of getting on the bus after the game at probably half past 10, 11 o'clock at night, they're probably eating at that time as well, as soon as they get on the bus or in the dressing room um, after the match. What strategy was you put in place to keep them in their as, as normal rhythm as they could potentially have? What strategies would you put in place to allow it to happen on that long journey back? Sure. So actually, I would take a step back and say, you know, okay. maybe we should even consider should they be traveling post game, okay. yeah. right? <laughs> so if they have a, um, they have two days in between that trip, and then when they have to play, you know, is there an advantage potentially to be able to get an adequate and normal night's sleep at home, and then travel say late morning the following day? I think that might be something to consider as well, so that you are getting an adequate rest in your home environment, potentially not having to have disrupted sleep either on that long journey um, or shifting that body clock as well by getting in so early into the new city. So that would be something I would want to consider and discuss a little bit more with the staff around that strategy. Arguably, it is difficult for a lot of athletes to amp down post-game, especially late-night games. Um, and so sometimes athletes and teams try to leverage that time for travel time, knowing that athletes are already going to be still awake and still amped up. Um, but I think there's ways that you can balance that as well, considering how far you need to travel and then what... Um, yeah, what are athletes willing to do in terms of traveling or not traveling post game? Mm-hmm. So, would you on on that in that scenario say the I'm, I'm guessing the club the club in question would probably say it's going to be a cost thing. We we can't afford to have twenty five people in in hotel rooms for that for an extra night. But so, so how would you go about? Um, would you encourage the, lad, the guys to get a certain amount of sleep on that coach journey, which obviously been on a coach have been absolutely horrendous? If so, how would you try to maximize that sleep quality while they're on the coach on the while they're traveling back up home? So arguably, they would actually be saving cost, right? If they stayed home post game and then traveled the following day, correct? Yeah, so they so the the Tuesday night game. I mean, this I'm, this scenario could be any scenario, but the the Tuesday night game was on the south coast. It was a a seven hour coach journey away. Okay, so they traveled down the day before. So so they traveled down the on the Tuesday morning for the Tuesday night match, and then once they'd completed the match, they traveled back up north, back up home. So. I- I see. Okay. So yeah, th- this would be obviously looking at the strategy if it was a reverse, if they were yeah. you know, at home and traveling, then you could make some argument around cost <laughs> long term in these scenarios around a whole season, definitely. Um, but, you know, some things that also can help just maximize sleep on the road when it is either on flights or on long bus roads. I, I actually have a lot of my athletes pack a recovery bag to try and optimize their sleep um, in these scenarios when it's not going to be ideal. So in recovery bags, I have them take, you know, a travel, um, you know, memory foam pillow. I have eye masks in their earplugs. I have them bring noise-canceling headphones. 
um, you know, we'd pack some other recovery modalities that they can use uh, while on the road. And, you know, those small things, I like to say, will add up over time when it is a very long season. And many of these athletes are frequently on the go and on, on the road. And when it comes when it comes to, I mean, this is probably going slightly off topic, when it comes to nutrition, how does that obviously finishing late on a on again they use this using this scenario a tuesday night game they're probably eating at half past 10 at night how does that then affect the sleep the the preceding sleep great question so i think it's an exciting kind of frontier where i think the literature is still relatively young in terms of sleep and nutrition but i think you know definitely there are interesting intersections between them and i do think about what are these athletes eating post game what's their post spread what types of food are they choosing um i do advocate for you know incorporating a pre-sleep snack so a protein and a complex carb post um, game or prior to sleep, I think can be beneficial for athletes. And so making sleep smart choices on what they're eating post game, I think is an important aspect to, to discuss with athletes as well as potentially timing of their meals. Cause that can also possibly impact um, the body clock or if you're crossing time zones, what that can mean from um, yeah, a synchronization of um, circadian disruption. Mm-hmm. So suppose in that in that scenario again, there's on the one hand there's trying to get the right food in that's going to help them recover from the game, but then on the other hand, what kind of food is also going to not be too heavy so they can actually get to sleep in the next you know couple of hours? I suppose it's, it's a very delicate balance in the two. Right, but I think they can actually go hand in hand. So for a lot okay. of athletes, choosing a lean protein is what they have been doing post game for you know muscle recovery, regen, mm-hmm. and that's also advantageous potentially from a sleep perspective. So we just partner you know a complex carb in there, so that can also be um, just a small tweak for these athletes and and we've seen it being pretty effective for a lot of them also hydration when we talk about nutrition um, you know some of their hydration uh, choices too is important because obviously being well hydrated during the day but sometimes athletes are are over hydrating right prior to bed um, and that can also be disruptive for their sleep and having to to get up multiple times during the night so it is a balance but you know i'd like to say um the nutritionists are, are my good buddies and we try to work synergistically so that all of these pieces will come together most effectively for the athlete. So moving away from that scenario and, and going into the kind of the, the normal day-to-day in your, in your own home, how can, how can athletes and general population really, how can they maximize the, the sleep that they're getting on a regular basis? Definitely. There's a couple of buckets that I focus on with athletes or, again, just the, the weekend warrior. Um, one is sleep duration. So we do recognize that adequate sleep on a, on a day-to-day basis is, is essential for us to be <clears throat> healthy. And so seven hours, again, is that lower threshold for every healthy adult closer to the range of 8 to 10 for the elite athlete. And that's what we should be striving to get to as a lower threshold. But, you know, I, again, I'm a fan of small steps, I think, um, add up over time. And so if you're someone who's getting that six hours, getting to six and a half, up to seven, and building on that, I think is um, 
more practical and, and easier to implement. Um, there's the bucket of sleep quality. And so those are looking at if you have a wind down routine prior to bed, um, evaluating your caffeine and your alcohol. And you've heard some of these sleep hygiene strategies, but um, as simple as they sound, they're very effective. <laughs> um, looking at also the third bucket being timing of your sleep. So how consistent do you go to bed at the, and wake up at the same time of the day? Um, and as difficult as that may be for elite athletes, it is also critical from a body clock um, strategy to be able to have a consistent schedule. So which one? Which one's normally the one that is has to be has to be looked at from from your point of view when it comes to elite athletes? Which which bucket is the, normally the most lacking? They're all lacking. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> to be honest, you know, most athletes, unfortunately, you know, bucket one, don't get enough sleep, um, are far under sometimes seven hours. Bucket two, a lot of athletes don't have a good approach or structure to their sleep. It, it's usually this afterthought. And I think that's common for, you know, most, most of us, um, that it, it's just this afterthought. It happens when it happens. We jump into bed and when we decide to turn off the TV, that's when we're going to sleep versus having a more structured approach that sleep is a priority, that there's preparation to get quality rest. Um, and so I think that's usually where a lot of the uh, modifications are around just even how you approach your sleep and prepare for that. And then thirdly, just because of some of the schedule constraints whether that's because of travel, whether it's because of game times, then the timing of sleep often is um, very irregular for athletes. And that's uh, unique challenges sometimes, I think, um, at this level. But all three are going to be quite important. And so we try to strategize around effective ways that we can start to make small changes um, and then build on that over, over the season. Mm -hmm. So one last thing that I want to ask you um... And I think it's from a definitely from a personal point of view, um, the benefits and pitfalls of, of napping and how to maximize that that time, I suppose. Is it something that you would encourage or discourage? Sure. Everyone loves power naps and, and I do advocate for them. They can be effective. They're not a replacement for proper sleep at night. And so keeping naps typically short. So I'm an advocate of 30 minutes and less, um, you know, they, that can give you a boost in alertness and performance for a couple of hours. Again, it's not to replace getting your proper sleep seven, eight, nine hours during the nighttime. Um, but strategically for athletes, I do like to partner it prior to game time um, to give them that little bit more of a boost. Um, I do say, you know, you want that sleep environment to be the same as when you typically are sleeping at nighttime. So I advocate for, I make you know, I advocate a sleep environment that's like a cave, really dark, really quiet, cool, and comfortable. And um, trying to leverage that, again, prior to game time um, for that little bit of a boost. Um, for athletes that use caffeine, you know, the caffeine nap. Have you heard about the caffeine nap, Rob? I've just written down coffee before napping, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> yes. So um, this is a fun, you know, fun trick. And, and it has been shown to be quite effective where if an athlete, um, you know, utilizes caffeine and, you know, they are able to fall asleep within about 
five, ten minutes. So first, that is actually potentially a sign that they may not be getting adequate sleep on a day-to-day basis. But if, hey, that's, the, that's where they are, this can be a helpful tool. So caffeine takes about 15 minutes to kick in, right, um, or to be, to be um, active. And so if you down a cup of coffee and then you go take your power nap, 20, 30 minutes, then when you wake up, then you will have both the caffeine and the power nap will have kicked in. Um, and there, that's been shown actually to be more effective than just the power nap alone or the caffeine alone. So it's a fun little trick and has worked well for athletes. But the caveat is that, yes, you do need to be able to fall asleep within about five to 10 minutes for, for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. Is there any scenarios that you'd advocate uh, more than 30 minutes or not? Um, Yeah, definitely. There can be some scenarios where there may be unique schedule challenges and an athlete may have only slept, you know, five hours the night before because they had a late night travel or other constraints around why they unfortunately didn't get adequate sleep the night before. And so in those scenarios, I I do advocate, you know, an hour and a half power nap. Um, Those can have benefits. But the concern is that with some of the longer naps, you can go into deeper stages of sleep and then wake up with what we call sleep inertia, where you feel more sluggish and more tired. Has, Has that ever happened? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. That's not great if the athlete has to go out and perform, you know, and, and play a game the next you know, hour or so. And so that's what um, the concern is with longer naps as well as it also decreases your sleep drive at nighttime. So it can make it more yeah, difficult definitely. for an athlete to sleep. And so those are obviously things we have to balance considering what the scenario is. But um, yeah, you definitely use a couple of different of these tools when, when needed. Superb. Well, I'm just going to round up there, um, and I've got a busy day ahead, so I just want to ask you where people can keep up to date with what you've got going on. Are you on social media? Um, Are you active on social media if you are? Sure, I am. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Sherry, C-H-E-R-I underscore Ma, M-A-H. That's probably the best way to follow me. Um, On Facebook as well. Or if there's any questions, they can email me, sherryma at stanfordalumni.org. Perfect. Just writing all that down now. Cool. Well, Sherry, thank you very much for your insights. And again, thanks to Brandon for making the introduction. Um, really appreciate you coming on and giving it me time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I had a blast. No, it's a pleasure. Speak to you soon. All thank right, you. Sleep well. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to episode 133 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Sherry and had plenty of takeaways to uh, utilize and implement with your athletes in terms of their sleep quantity and sleep quality. So massive thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar, Coach Me Plus and Train With Push, makers of the Push Band for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run without them. So uh, massive thanks to them, guys, and I would encourage you to check them out. So make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player to make sure you get all the updates uh, as episodes go live. And I will speak to you in episode 134.